But uh, we're, we're good. it's good to be with you guys today, and we're going to be continuing our journey through the book of Joshua. And Emerson, you might want to bring me down just a hair because I talk loud and I can already hear myself. So we're going to be in the book of Joshua today in chapter 21, and uh, we're in the ninth week of our study through the book of Joshua together, and, and I'm only going to be really preaching on three verses today, verses 43, 44, and 45 of Joshua 21, so we're going to spend about an hour on each one, and we'll get right out of here. Sound good? Yeah, some of you are like, is he serious? Well, you only, only one way to find out, right? So let's get right into it. Uh, Joshua 21, beginning in verse 43, says this. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. So what happens from chapter 1 in the beginning of the book of Joshua, where God looks at Joshua and he says to him, Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. You're going to take the children of Israel and who have been wandering in the wilderness for like 40 years, and you're going to cross over the Jordan River and every city that's in the promised land I am going to give to you. So by the time you get here to Joshua chapter 21, all of that God has given to them, okay? So verse 44 continues, and it says, and the Lord gave them rest on every side. Now, if you underline or highlight in your Bible, I would encourage you to do that with that word rest right there, okay? It continues on and says, on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers, not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises. Again, if you, if you underline, or highlight, underline or highlight that phrase right there, all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed all. How many? All came to pass. So now you've got rest underlined or highlighted, and you've got all the good promises underlined or highlighted. What I want you to do on your phone or, or when you get home tonight or whatever is, is draw a line between those two things, okay? Because I think the reason that Israel had rest on every side, the reason they had rest on every side is that they actually believed that God is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises. And that I believe is a truth that you can rest in. And that's the point of this whole message. That when we believe that God is who he says he is and he always keeps his promises, that is actually the rest that you and I are looking for. So let me ask you this question as we're beginning. Do you have rest? I mean, right now in your current circumstances, would you describe your life as restful? I hear a nope over here, all right? So you got some honesty going on, right? In fact, you know, I was thinking about this. You know what a legitimate greeting is here in America? Honestly, hey, you staying busy? Like, think about that, right? You know, it's a way we're, like, saying hey to each other. We're like, hey, man, I haven't seen you in a while. Staying busy? Right? And honestly, if the person responded back to you, what, think about it, What if they said to you, no, not really. I, I try not to really be busy, and, and uh, you know, I, I live my life in margin, and I take rest. And you know what? Right now, I am feeling really rested, you know? And they're like, are you in a cult? Like, are you, what is wrong with you? Like, I mean, honestly, people, like, the next time someone asks you that, hey, man, you're saying busy, I just want you to just to say, no, 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 I'm really rested, and just look at the look on their face. They're just, man, they're like, what is wrong with you? Or how about if you ask your kids or your spouse to describe your life, would they describe your life as rested? Or would they describe your life as busy, right? I mean, if you're anything like the average human being here in America, your life is probably something like this. You wake up earlier than you really want to, so you got to set an alarm. And uh, if you use your iPhone like me, that little xylophone thing does not work anymore. 
So you got to go with the, uh, 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 you know, you on that one. I, I have to use that one because it's the only one that works for me. That really obnoxious, really annoying alarm. And then I got to put my phone across the room so it like shocks me out of, out of my sleep into the day. You know, and then you run around getting the kids ready, trying to get out the door and getting yourself ready and, and making sure you get some food for breakfast. And you're out the door and you forgot something. So you're back in the door and then you go back out the door again. And then you join that rat race. And it's like the Daytona 500 trying to get to work or school or wherever you're going and people are honking and cutting you off and, and you finally get to work and when you get to work, your to-do list is already backed up, your, your, your email inbox is, is full and then you get home that night later than you promised you would get home and there's more work to do at home than there was to do at work and then you fight with your wife, you fight with your kids, everybody goes to bed and you fall asleep watching some TV and wake it up and do it all over again. And your biggest prayer of the week is thank God it's Friday, Right? kind of describes all of us a little bit, doesn't it? If we're honest, if we're honest, that, that, that's kind of the average American life. But did you know, and this is what I want to encourage you today, did you know that you were not created for that? You were not made for that, right? right? You were created for rest. That's what the Bible says. One old pastor a long time ago, he said that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. You know, that's kind of a scary thought, isn't it, right? And I hope the uh-oh factor is kind of going up a little bit in the room right now, because the reality is that God created you for rest. That, that rat race, the thing that most people are going through, that is not what God has for us. That's not what God created us for. What God has for us, the Bible says to his children, he gave them rest. And you guys know there's a difference between rest and just sleep. You know this, right? You know there's a difference between rest and sleep? I mean, you can sleep enough, but you still might not have rest. And I was thinking about this, and I think the difference between rest and sleep is kind of like the difference between a vacation and a trip, right? You know what the difference is between a vacation and a trip? You take your kids on a trip, right? You've never had your kids with you on vacation because there is no such thing as a Disney vacation, as a Disney trip, because as a parent, that is work. There is no rest involved, right? You know, so I'm just kidding, by the way. But you, you see, there's a difference between a vacation. Well, not really. You're, yeah, they're laughing. They're parents. They get it. You know, but the reality is, like, there is a difference between a vacation and a trip, and there's, there's a difference between rest and sleep. And God commanded us to rest. Did you know that? I mean, it is, it, it's the fourth commandment. It's a big deal. God commands us to rest. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And on that day, you should do no work, but you should rest. God actually commands us to rest. And did you know that the, the early rabbis, the early Jewish rabbis, they said that the fourth commandment was actually what they referred to as the hinge commandment. That the first three commandments were about our vertical relationship with God, about us and God. And commandments 5 through 10 were all horizontal commandments about us and other people. But the fourth commandment, that was the one that was the only way to make possible that great commandment that Jesus gave that said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The fourth commandment tells us the Sabbath is the day you rejuvenate and you refuel and you replenish. So that because God's love lives in you, now God's love can pour out of you onto your neighbor's commandments 5 through 10. And so you see, he commands us to rest in the fourth commandment. And not only that, but he gives us the reason. He says the reason you're to rest on the, on the seventh day is because God rested on the seventh day. And why did God rest? Did he rest because he was tired? No, God, God was not tired, right? The Bible says he never sleeps or slumbers. That means God never gets tired. 
that even after God created everything that he created in the world, it wasn't even hard for him. I mean, he literally just spoke, and there it was, aside from uh, human beings. He just spoke, and there it was. But do you know why he rested on the seventh day? You see, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and you read about the creation account, it says God spoke, and something happened, and then he said, that's good. And he kept doing it over and over and over and over again. He separates the day from the night, and he goes, that's good. And he, and he, he makes the land and the, the seas, and he goes, that's good. And then he populates the cosmos with the sun, moon, and stars, and he goes, that's good. And he put animals and plants and all the land, and he goes, that's good. And it's not until like the sixth day when he creates his prized creation, the only thing, by the way, that's created in his image. And now he goes, now that's very good. Now that's very good. And then on the seventh day, he rested, not because he was tired, but the reason that God rested and can say that it is very good is because he was utterly satisfied with the work that he had done. That's what rest is. So listen to me. If you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, the reason that you can rest is because you are utterly satisfied in the work, not that you have done but was done on your behalf when Jesus was on the cross. And when he you know, pushed up on his nail-pierced feet and he cried out, it is finished. I believe part of what that means is it meant your to-do list is over. It meant the performance trap and the pretending game are done because of Christ's perfect work on the cross. And because of that, because of that work that utterly satisfies, you and I can rest in that work. The book of Hebrews will say it this way in chapter 4, verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So that's why we rest, because of Christ's finished work on the cross. Not only that, but, but you have to think about this. I, want, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but man, when Moses comes down off Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and he's, he's given them the Ten Commandments, particularly this fourth commandment, do you know who he was giving it to? He was giving it to a generation of slaves. A generation of slaves. Every day of their life in Egypt, they worked. Every second of every day of their life, their entire existence in Egypt, they worked. And then Moses comes down off Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and one of the commandments was, hey, you're going to work and get it all done in six days, and then on the seventh day, every single week, you're just going to rest. Can you imagine the gift that that is to a bunch of slaves? Think about that. This means, wow, we really are free. We're so free, in fact, we can take a whole day off every single week. You know what this means for, for you and I today? This is what I think. I think it means this, that if, if you and I cannot take a day off to rest, then we're a slave. You're a slave either to your boss or your business or your industry or maybe your own ego or maybe your own set of values that you've set to validate yourself or maybe your own insecurity. But if you are not free, you are not free if you cannot take a day off and rest and rejuvenate and refuel in God. I just don't believe you are. Did you ever think about the first thing that Adam and Eve ever did was rest? Did you ever, ever think about that in the creation narrative? I mean, think about this. They're created, and the first full day of their existence was the seventh day, the Sabbath. That was the first full day they had in existence. God creates them, and, and he set them over the earth to, to manage the earth, to do all the work that needs to be done. and all. That. I'm sure there was lots to do, right? Like, he, he, he put them in charge of all of it. But after he creates them, he goes, hey, guess what? Today's a day off. 
why? Like, we're not even tired. We haven't done anything yet. Yeah, because, you know, honestly, we're not just supposed to rest from work, but you're supposed to rest so you can be ready to do everything that God has called you to do. I mean, listen, God created us with this daily need to rest, right? It's called sleep, by the way. Like, every day we got to rest at some point. I think that is a daily reminder to each and every one of us that the world does not revolve around you. And I, honestly, all of us, at some point, we have to stop, and you're, you'll either stop or you'll stop. That's your options, right? At some point, you are going to stop and rest. You have to. I mean, listen, your cell phone needs to be recharged, right? Your cell phone needs to be recharged. And I'm thinking about this, man. Let's get real for a second. Think about how frantic you get when you're running low on battery and you can't find a place to plug it in, right? It's usually right mid-afternoon, 3, 30, 4 o'clock. You haven't managed your battery life very well, and, and you forgot your charger, and, and you're, like, walking around like, hey, man, I need a hit. I need a hit. We need a cord. I need to plug my phone in, you know? And you're like, oh, man, that's the wrong one. Apple changed it again. Keep up. Come on. And you're running around like, what do I do? And you're just, you're, you're freaking out, you know? And you laugh because it's true, isn't it? It's true. But the Bible says that the Bible says that God created you to rest. And then Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you what? I will give you rest. I think that's the, the greatest invitation I have ever heard in my entire life. And some of us, okay, we're like, all right, all right, pastor, I get it. You know, but I've come to Jesus, and, and I don't have rest. I'm worried, and, and I'm anxious, and, and I'm busy. And maybe, maybe it's because we're not finding rest because we're not believing the promises of God. That if we would actually believe that God is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises, the result of that would be rest for our souls. I know you believe in God. You wouldn't really be here if you didn't. But do you believe God? That's different, isn't it? And maybe if you and I would begin to believe in the promises of God, that he is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises, then that's the kind of rest for our souls that all of us have been looking for. That's what we're looking for. Now, you'll notice here in Joshua 21:44 that we just read a minute ago, it says the Lord gave them rest on every side. On every side. God gave them rest on every side. Now, I, I think what happens is you and I, we have this spiritual enemy. His name is the devil. And, and the Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he typically comes at us from every side, from every side. For some of us, he comes at us from our past. For some of us, he comes at us in our current circumstances, and for some of us, he'll come at us from our future and, and the fear of the future. There are some of us that really stress out and worry about the past, and most of the time it ends up something like this. I usually end up with a con in a conversation with somebody, and, and they've, heard, they've heard the gospel, and they want to believe the gospel, but for some reason, they just feel like they're too far gone. Like, I'm too far gone. Like, I, I, there's nothing God can do for me. And I, I've also come, it's come out like this sometimes. There's people that uh, will, will come to me and talk to me and, and will say, you know, they, they've surrendered their lives to Christ, but, but for some reason they just can't get it through their head that, that when the Bible said God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that he would become the righteousness of, of Christ, that that's for them. And so they, 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 they accept what Jesus did for them, but, but they, they stop there because they say, I'm not worthy to be a part of the family of God. Like, that, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. And you see what's happening in that moment 
is the enemy, the father of lies. He is sneaking into, into their world, and he's saying, because of your past, because of your past, then God can't really love you. You see the promise that we're not believing when we accept the, the, the father of lies lie there is Romans 8 verse 1 where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And anytime the Bible has the word therefore, you got to see what it's there for. So you back up to chapter 7. And you know what the end of chapter 7 in, in Romans is all about? Kind of this tongue twister, right? Paul, who's a pretty good Christian, by the way. You guys, can we just agree on that? Paul's a pretty good Christian. I mean, this is the guy, like, he's in prison, and, and you know, he's like, like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Basically, what he's saying is, look, if you kill me, like, my next conscious thought, I'll be with Jesus. And if you don't, I get to tell you about Jesus, so it's a win-win for me. Like, that, this is the kind of guy that he is, right? And he, he's, you know, he's saying these kind of prayers. And, and, and so in Romans chapter 7, Paul, he, he says, I have this war going on inside of me, within me. I want to do good, and evil is right there with me. And he says, the things I, uh, I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. Right? This tongue twister. And that's what chapter 7 is all about. And at the end of chapter 7, he basically says, woe is me. What am I going to do? Like, like, what am I going to do? And then he, he, he basically he lays out the gospel and he says, thank God that it's not my work, but it's the work of Jesus in the cross that I find my salvation. Therefore, now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's the context. You see, some of you look over your shoulder and you see your past and you think that you're unworthy. And guess what? In your own works, you were. You were. But Christ, in, in, in Christ, you are made a new creation. And that, when the, that, that means that when the Almighty God looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Jesus. The Bible says, if you're in Christ... It uses the terminology sometimes that you are a saint. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, be careful of that when you go home. Don't go home and tell your wife, hey, pastor said I'm a saint, so you better start calling me Saint Ted. You know, like, you're getting in trouble. Don't do that, all right? <laughs> but the reality is that the, the enemy comes in, right? And what the enemy tries to get you to believe is that God doesn't really love you. God loves some future version of yourself once you get your act together could not be further from the truth. Or another lie that the enemy comes after us with is this, that your sin or your past mistakes, they define you. That is who you are. And the reality is that when your past steals the rest that God is offering in the present, then you are not believing God's promises, and you are believing the lies of the enemy. One of the, the key things that you need to do as a follower of Jesus, I believe, is you better learn to start identifying the voices in your head that you're hearing. Now, if you're hearing them too loud and too often, I would advise you to seek professional help. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying the whispers. You know what I'm talking about, right? The whispers, you guys get those? The, the, the whispers in your head? Let me tell you how it plays out in my life almost on a weekly basis. It happens a couple of times. Almost every single week when I walk up here, to deliver the gospel, I get the whispers. I start hearing them. The enemy gets in my ear, and he's like, if they only knew. If, if they only knew what a, a crappy husband you've been, what a selfish man you are, how prideful you are, how greedy you are. If they only knew what you think about them, they would disqualify you. I get the whispers. Or I get the whispers uh, of, man, if a group of them went back and they, they talked to people from my past, they would come back and tell everybody, don't listen to that hypocrite. <laughs> don't follow him. 
You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever get the whispers? And in that moment, the whispers begin to go, if they only knew, if they only knew the, 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 the terrible things you've said, if they only knew the people you've hurt, if they only knew. And in that moment, you know what? The, the thing that I have to understand is that there is a father telling me that, but it is, he, he is the father of lies who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that my heavenly father never, ever, ever talks to me like that. The Bible says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's what I need you to know. That God's grace poured out on the cross is bigger than whatever your past is. Doesn't matter. Whatever it is, God's grace is sufficient. So let's just get real practical here for a second. The gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than your affair. You are not your affair. The grace of Jesus Christ is bigger than your addiction. You are not your addiction. Now, here's what I mean. If, you've, if you have an addiction, you've probably been to some meetings at some point, and I am for meetings. They've helped a lot of people. But when you go to a meeting as an addict and you introduce yourself as an addict, hi, I'm Jim, I'm an addict, that kind of stuff, it's not altogether true. Because in Christ, you are not your addiction. In Christ, you are a bought and paid for son or daughter of the Most High King, and your entire record has been wiped away, and you have been imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and only your creator gets to tell you who you are, not some label that we make up for you. It's just true. It's truth. And you are not your abortion, and you are not your divorce, and you are not your bankruptcy, and you are not your failed marriage, and guess what? You're not all of your successes either. You are not those things. That is not who you are. But in Christ, in Christ, you are a part of the family of the Most High God. That's who you are. And so the moment that the enemy begins to creep in and whisper those things to you and begin to whisper that, that condemnation, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. To be condemned, like when a building is, is condemned, you know what they, they put on there? They say unfit for use. Unfit for use. So that's what the enemy is trying to get you to believe, that you are condemned, that you are unfit for use. But then Jesus comes along, and he says, no, no, no. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm going to live in that building, right? That's what it means to be the temple of God. I'm going to take up residence in that building, enemy, that you said was unfit for use. That is the perfect place for me to work my transformative work in. You see, the opposite of, uh, of condemnation is conviction. Condemnation, what it does is it has you run and hide and cover up your sin, conviction of the Holy Spirit, which happens, by the way, and, and it's not always fun. I know, I know some of you think your spouse emails me every Friday to tell me what to talk about, but I promise they don't email me, all right? That, that is, that's not me. That is just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that he would love you enough that he would begin to take the hammer and chisel and begin to chisel away every single thing in your life that does not look like Jesus. But conviction of the Holy Spirit, unlike condemnation that causes us to run and hide, it causes us to run to our Heavenly Father because we know that we are running into His grace-filled arms. So if the side that is stealing your rest that God has for you is because you're not believing in the promise of the gospel, then know this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's some of us that we look over our shoulder in the past, but then there's some of you, we, we stretch out over our current circumstances. 
And we look around at what's, what's going on, and you say, Pastor, I don't have condemnation. I've got bills, right? I mean, I owe more than I have. My financial situation is a mess. And there are some of you that, that maybe you're obsessed with your relational situation, and you're letting it define you, and it, it's stressing you out, and, and you're wondering maybe if you're ever going to get married. And I mean, there's some of you who are single, and you want to be married so bad you just can't stand it. And there's probably some of you who are married, and you want to be single so bad you can't stand it. And it's stressful, right? Like, it's stressing you out. And then some of you are worried that, that maybe you, you, know, you haven't had work in like six or seven months. Or you're worried about your kids. You get a, a bad report back from school, and you're like, how in the world are they feeling third grade? How does that happen, right? And you're, you, you, you know, they went to the doctor or the psychologist or whatever, and you have bad health reports. And there's all these things going on. You begin to look around at your current circumstances, and those current circumstances are stealing the rest that God has for you. They're stealing it. Well, Jesus makes a promise in John chapter 16, and Jesus says, I have said these things to you, and, and these things that he's talking about there start all the way back in John chapter 14, and, and, and Jesus lays out the gospel there, and he says, I'm going to live this perfect life, and I'm going to die on, on the cross for your sins, and they're going to bury me in the ground. On the third day, I'm going to get up from the tomb. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, but take heart, but take heart because I'm going to send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit, Okay? I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live where? He's going to live within you. And so he, he says this, John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, those things, that in me you may have what? Peace. Now, that word peace right there, by the way, that, that's a Greek word, and it is the same word as the Hebrew word from Joshua that's translated as rest. It's the same word in Greek and Hebrew. Think about this. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You may have rest, right? And so it goes on here and says, in the world you will have tribulation. There's a promise of God for you. You're going to have tribulation. I'm not saying it's easy, but you should never be surprised by it, right? He's saying you're going you're to face it. And, and, but take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. I'm not saying it's easy, you know, guys. I know it's not. But if you look at the context in which Jesus is speaking these words here, do you know where, where he gets up and he goes from here? He gets up and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, the place that he, he prays so hard that he begins to sweat drops of blood. And he says, Father, if there's any other way that, 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 that this cup of your wrath can, can pass from me, but ultimately, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he's arrested and he's taken to Caiaphas' house and he's nailed to a cross. See, that's Jesus' current circumstances when he's saying, take heart. You think yours are rough? I'm not saying it's not rough, by the way. I'm just saying that his current circumstances were rough too. And here's his promise. Take heart. Take heart is like, relax. Take a deep breath. Take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I've overcome your current circumstances, whatever they happen to be. Are you struggling? Your current circumstances have you down? The book of Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest that cannot empathize with us, but that Jesus suffered every temptation and every trial that you and I have ever suffered. You've had friends turn their back on you? So did Jesus. You got money problems? Did you know that one time Jesus did not have enough money to pay his taxes? Right? Whatever it is that you struggle with, Jesus had those same kind of struggles and temptations. And he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And the second half of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20, he promises us this. He says, behold, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Right? 
And you see, here are some promises of God when you find yourself in current circumstances that are just causing your anxiety levels to go up, and they're just causing you to worry. He says, take heart, for I have overcome the world, and I promise you that I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. You see, the reality is we don't, we don't follow after Jesus because he makes our life better, but we follow after Jesus because he is better than life. It's true. That's why we do what we do. You see, a lot of us act like we're going to live here forever. I got a newsflash for you. 100 years, we're all gone, right? Unless Jesus comes before that, right? 100 years, I don't care how much spinach you eat, you're done, right? So what are you going to cling to? What Jesus offers us is clinging to the one who will never, ever, ever let us go. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite Christian authors, he puts it this way. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were not made for this world. So when you look around at your current circumstances and the enemy has you look around at all the stuff going on around you and causes you to worry and he steals your rest, it's because we're not believing this promise. Take heart that Jesus has overcome the world and he is with you even to the very ends of the age. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says these words, he says, Therefore, I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Now, let's just be honest. If you're anxious, how do you do that, right? Try this, guys. Husbands, if you're married, next time your, your wife is anxious, next time she's, she's, she's worrying, say, stop worrying. And then when she doesn't stop worrying, say, hey, Jesus said, stop worrying. Let me tell you what's not going to happen. She's not going to be like, oh, thank you, honey, for giving me the word of the Lord today. I really needed that. No, don't, don't try that. But what Jesus says, that's what he says to do. Hey, you worried? Uh-huh. Okay, stop. Like, like it's like trying to go to sleep, right? You're for, you're like, you ever do that? You're, like, you're laying in bed, and you're like, I know I got to sleep. If I go to sleep right now, I have like six hours, all right? Sleep, no, it's not, it's not happening, right? You, you, can't, you can't force it, right? So it goes on in, in, this, in this chapter, and it says these words. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. I think we would all agree with that. The next verse, he, he says, in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air, right? And, and remember, by the way, when Jesus is preaching this, they're out on the mountainside. So I believe when Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, he pointed and all the crowd looked and there were the birds of the air flying by, right? He's like, hey, look at the birds of the air, you know? And so he says this, and what Jesus, you know, is saying, he said, look at the birds. He said, have you ever seen a bird worry? You ever seen a bird be anxious, right? Like, have you ever seen a bird go to another bird and be like, hey, bird, what's up? Why are you so worried? <sighs> you know, the stock market, you know, and. This election, are you kidding me? And, and uh, what are we going to do, you know? And what are you worried My kids, man, I'm trying to get in the right school, and I just don't know what to do. And, and he's like, no, 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 have you ever seen a bird worry? They don't worry at all. They just fly around. They're like, oh, there's a nice stick. I'm going to add that to my tree fort, you know? Like, that's what they do. They're just, they're just living and, and doing their life. The point is, and I'm not saying don't plan at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying this. The birds, if the birds who do not plan whatsoever... If they don't have to worry because God takes care of the birds, did you ever consider that you're more important than the birds? The reality is this, guys. Like, like the birds, yes, they're part of creation, but you're a part of the family. You're a part of the family. And your Father in heaven knows what you need. And if he's taking care of the birds, we know he's going to take care of us. And then he asks this question in verse 27. He says, 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Are you worried about your current circumstances? Uh-huh. How is that working for you? Not too good, is it, right? And Jesus already knew this, by the way. And I love when science eventually catches up with what the Bible says. Jesus knew that not only uh, by worrying can you not add a single hour to your life, but actually by worrying all the time you can subtract a whole bunch of them, right? You know that, don't you? Like if you worry and stress out and you're anxious all the time, your life will be shorter because of it. I mean, let me just be honest. There's not a lot of old people here at Elevate because we're a pretty young church, but, but go find an old person. If you find them old enough, they're not going to be offended that you called them old, and ask them, how did you get old? How'd you get old? They're never going to look at you and be like, you know what? <clears throat> worry, stress, anxiety. That is the secret to a long and healthy life, right? It's actually the exact opposite of that. It's the people that, that get to, to a ripe old age, especially, you know, that are healthy and vibrant and living their life. It's the people that understand that he's a good dad and he loves his children and they don't seem to really worry about their current circumstances, whatever they may be. That's what Jesus here is preaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. It goes on here in verse 27 says, Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. By, they're on the mountainside, right? He pointed the birds. Now look at the lilies over there, right? The flowers over there. Look how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. By the way, when he says Gentiles there, he does not just mean people who are not born Jewish. He means people who don't believe in God. Right? Jesus is essentially saying, if you're freaking out about your current circumstances and you're not a Christian, okay, that, that kind of makes a lot of sense. Because in your world, you're in charge of your own life. You're in charge of everything. And so it makes sense that you're, you're, you're anxious and stressed out and all of that. But, but I thought you said you were a Christian. And to say you're a Christian means that you believe that through Christ's death and resurrection that you have a relationship with your heavenly father. But when you worry, when you let the enemy steal away your, your rest because of your current circumstances, you're like a practical atheist. You say you believe in God, you just don't really act like it. The reality is he's a good dad. 189 times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God not as sovereign king, lord, judge, any of that, which is all true, but as father. In fact, the Greek word translated there is more closely translated in the English language as daddy. It's intimate, Abba, right? The promise that <clears throat> we're not believing when we allow the enemy to steal our rest because of our current circumstances is we forget to believe that he is a good dad and he loves his kids. And so he says, in Matthew chapter 6 here, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, right? He knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We talked earlier about putting God, Christ first and everything, preeminent above all things. Seek first. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Now, so maybe you're looking around right now and, and your life and your current circumstances and, and maybe you don't have a job or maybe you don't have a date or, or maybe you don't have enough money or, or you don't have whatever. Maybe you have too much of something, okay? Whatever it may be. And the thing that the enemy is stealing away from you by getting you to focus on all of that is this promise that you need to believe in that he is a good dad and he loves his kids. 
one of God's graces on my, on my life is that I grew up with a good dad that loved his kids. And as a kid, do you know what I worried about? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, right? I, I'm sure that some of you cannot relate and some of you probably can, but I was blessed by God and grew up with a dad that loved me. And I, I never worried about anything. I didn't worry about ever having food on the table. I didn't worry about ever having clothes that fit me in my closet. I didn't ever worry about how we were going to get where we needed to go. I had never once worried about how much anything cost. Like, I had no worries because I had a dad who loved me and took care of all my needs, right? He, he, he really did. And one of the fundamental truths I learned that later helped pave the way for my own faith in Jesus, I learned that a good dad loves his kids, that a, that a good dad loves his kids, and he always provides, and he always protects. And so I, I learned this thing that, that Jesus is trying to teach in the Sermon on the Mount. But my, in my experience, this is something that very few Christians actually believe. That God is really a good dad who loves his kids. And you see, now I'm on the dad end of that equation, and you know what my kids worry about? Nothing. Nothing. They don't worry about food. They don't worry about clothes or, or getting where we need to go. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, they definitely do not worry about how much stuff costs, right? But you know, you know why we do all this for our kids? We don't, we don't do it for us, right? We do it for our kids because we love them and we love to take care of them. And the glory that we receive in, in that experience is just being able to love on our kids, right? And sometimes we say, no, you cannot have cotton candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Right? Because we love you, know, and they might cry and pitch a fit if they're young enough, or if they're old enough, too, sometimes. And sometimes you reach out to God, and you say, God, why? Will you please? And he says, hey, I love you, no. I love you, no. That's not going to happen. But the fundamental promise that you have to believe where you find rest, regardless of your current circumstances, is that he is a good dad, and he loves his kids. He loves his children. So the next time you find yourself looking at your current circumstances and wondering why, and what you got to do is to remember the promise of God. Listen, you're more important than the birds. And he's a good dad, and he loves his children. And some of you, you're like, you know, I'm not so worried about the past, Pastor, and I'm not so worried about the present, but, man, I am, I'm stressed out about the future. You know, I look at the future, and uh, there is so much to worry about. Like, you know, you're worried about politics. You're worried about the economy. You're worried about the morality of our society. You're worried about growing crime. You're worried about the world that our kids are going to grow up in. And the extreme version of that would be you move to Arizona, you dig a hole in the ground, get some canned goods, and you just wait it out, right? You live underground, right? This is the extreme version of that fear of the future, right? You just, you just hole up in the ground and wait it out. And some of you, the enemy is coming into your life, and you, the enemy is freaking you out about the future. He's paralyzing you with fear. And some of us, you know, he comes at us from our past, some of us in our current circumstances, and some of you, he comes at you from the future. So that fear would just paralyze you. And this would be my encouragement to you. This is my encouragement to you today. If the future freaks you out, then you're not looking far enough into the future. What Jesus is going to say in Revelation chapter 21, Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. And if you read through the book and you get toward the end, yes, it does get a lot worse before it gets better. But what I want to encourage you to do is if the future scares you, then to get your eyes off of your weekly planner and off of our political climate and off of all the, the, the rhetoric and off of the, the calendar year and to get your eyes up over the horizon to God's plan for humanity. You see, ultimately, God is who he says he is, and God always keeps his promises. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will not tell you that if I'm not going to come back and get you. 
and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take you to my dad's house, and in my dad's house, guess what? There are many, many, many rooms, and there's even one for you. And in Revelation 21.1, this is a picture of the future. It says these words. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. Basically what God is promising here is that the whole thing started in a garden and it ended in a city, right? That, that you could say in a, in a sense that we live our life between two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden where it all started, and the tree of life in the city, the New Jerusalem, when it, where it all ends. And right in the middle of, of that is the tree on which Jesus hung. And when he said, it is finished, it counted for you. It counted for you. For every single person that surrenders their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have an advance invitation into this great city. He's inviting you. Where there are no more tears, there is no more pain, there's no more cancer, nobody walks with a limp or a swagger. Right? And he's bringing us back to that perfect relationship that he had with the very first human beings, Adam and Eve. Like, like think about this. When God created Adam in the form of the dust of the ground, he made uh, the form of a man, and he breathed life, the, the Hebrew word ruah, or breath, or, or spirit into him. Adam opened his eyes, and he was face to face with his heavenly father. Sin came in the picture and tore that relationship apart. But God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, on a rescue mission to reconcile that relationship. So that one day, one day in heaven, and the heaven, new heavens, new earth, which this is describing here, that we will be face to face with our creator again. We'll be face to face again. Verse 5 goes on and says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So this is the promise of the future. If the future freaks you out, you're just not looking far enough out. Right? If you look far enough out, he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. It goes on the next couple of verses and says, Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done, or it is finished. The same Greek phrase there. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payments. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. In another place, the Bible says when all things are made new, that Jesus is going to be seated on the throne. And we're going to be face to face with him. And it says that the throne will be surrounded by all the angels and all of us. And, and they're going to take the crowns off and lay them at the feet of Jesus. And they're going to sing a song. Together we're going to sing this song at the throne of Jesus, who was and is and it is to come, the book of Revelation, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the Bible says that that song is on repeat for all eternity in heaven. It just keeps going over and over and over and over again. Which is interesting because in Joshua, it says that God gave them peace. God gave them rest on every side. 
And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, sometimes the enemy comes at me for my past. Sometimes he comes at me for my current circumstances. And sometimes he comes at me for my future. But the Bible says there will be a day when we say who was, who is, and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, God is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises. And if you can believe that, regardless of your past, regardless of your current circumstances, regardless of what you see coming out of the front windshield, if you can really believe, I mean like really trust, like really lean into the fact that God is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises, then that's a truth that you can rest in. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you some rest for your soul. And some of you may, may say, how can we believe that God always keeps his promises? Here's how we can believe it. Because once and for all, he's already kept his great eternal and the biggest promise that he ever, ever, ever made. That his perfect son will conquer sin and death. And let me just tell you something. The tomb is empty. He's not there. He is alive. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this. It says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he also not give us all of the things that he has promised us? Who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to invite you to stand as we we close with prayer. I want to pray right now. Stand where you are and bow your heads, close your eyes. Dear God, you know every heart. You know every situation in this church, Lord. And God, for many of us, even the word rest just sounds like kind of a foreign concept. God, we're not asking for sleep. We're not asking for calendar adjustment. Lord, we're asking for rest for our souls. So Holy Spirit, for every person in this place, God, would you give us the faith to believe that you are who you say you are, that you always keep your promises. And God, when we begin to doubt it because of our past or because of our current circumstances or because of the fear of the future, God, then we look to an empty tomb as proof positive that you always keep your promises. And God, in the meantime, I would pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be a comforter to all of us, that you would guard our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus, that you would give us a peace that transcends all understanding. And even if our our current circumstances are all messed up in whatever way, shape, or form, that our friends and our neighbors can, can look to us and say, how are you making it? That we could just really lean into the truth that you are a good dad and you still have the whole world in your hands. God, would you move in that kind of way among us We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As the band's getting ready to come up and and we're going to be singing this new song, I just want to share really quickly, this new song, it's it's new to us here at Elevate, but it's not new to me. And uh, one of the the lyrics in here is very powerful. It hit me because Michelle and I did not plan this whatsoever, but it actually ties directly into my sermon today where it says in, in the second verse, I am not a captive to the lies and I'm not afraid to leave my past behind.